0: Good morning, church family. How many of you knew that fourth stanza of Hark the Herald? Yeah, some of us, some of us. All around the world, people love that hymn and sing that hymn. Um, Even outside the church, just think of this, even outside the church, people this time of year are singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. That means people... Um, not even knowing the theology of what they're singing, are preaching the gospel to themselves as they sing those words. Um, But most people, um, even within the church, um, don't know that last stanza that we sang. It's usually left out of most hymnals, uh, including our own. Um, Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us, The serpent's head. How many of you already have received a Christmas card with that image on it? Anybody? (laughs) No. No. Not exactly the image that you see on Christmas cards these days. But it is a wonderful image. It's a biblical image. And that means it's essential to us. And that's why we can turn to Genesis 3 this morning. That's your cue. And find that it's actually quite Christmassy. As it turns out, your whole Bible is to do with Christmas because your whole Bible is to do with Jesus, the King who has come. Christmas celebrates God's promise to remake his world, doesn't it? To, to renew people like us made in his image. to to set us free from sin's stranglehold over our lives. It's power to shape our destiny. The fulfillment of this promise is already underway in the work of Christ. And this promise will be consummated on a certain day when all of God's people enjoy life under the rule of King Jesus, absent any trace of sin's curse. Are you glad for this? Christmas anticipates a world without deception, disease, despair, death itself. And that's just the stuff starting with the letter D, right? (laughs) A world whose people delight in God. A people who live in such a way that God delights in them. Christmas proclaims a promised everlasting life, a real human life that our first parents, Adam and Eve, could have had but missed out on. And Charles Wesley makes that very clear in that hymn we just sang, Adam's likeness now efface. Stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate in us thy love. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Let's see the first glimmer of the newborn king in Genesis 3. Now, if you uh, read the, the newsletter, the Pastor Graham last week, you were encouraged to read um, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Did anybody do that? Anybody do it without complaining? Okay. Remember, Genesis tells us that God made a perfect world for his glory. And he declared everything in creation to be good. In fact, very good. He created an image bearer, Adam. And then he placed sinless Adam in a garden, didn't we? And God then created Eve from and for Adam. They were created to know God. They were created to love God. They were created to trust God. And friend, before we even get started too much this morning, let me say you were created for that purpose too. To know God. To love God. To trust God. Eden was a sort of temple in which God lived with his image bearers. And God gave Adam and Eve dominion over the earth as his appointed regents. And suddenly, and tragically, that dominion and its endless possibilities of blessing and fellowship with God was brought to ruin by sin. And this sin, the curse of this sin, reaches into all of human history. It reaches into our day, into our lives. Let's, let's read of its inception. Genesis 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent... That it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, You are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. What a wonder this is that even before Adam and Eve heard sin's curse pronounced to them, they were allowed to hear first what God said to the tempter, to Satan. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Verse 15 Sometimes is referred to as the Proto-evangelium, or the, the first good news. The, the first good news for a world suddenly plunged into the darkness of sin. And my, my prayer for us this morning. Is that just as we see so clearly the, the darkness in the world around us today, the, the, the darkness of dysfunctional relationships, the the darkness of, of despair and disease and, and even death itself, I pray we also see embedded in that darkness the bright promise of God's grace in Christ. Where Adam failed, Christ prevailed. Amen? That's what Charles Wesley, with some help from his friend George Whitfield, uh, wanted God's people to remember when they sang of Christmas. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. In the same breath in which God pronounces the curse, God also gives his image bearers the first fragrance of his grace toward them. A, a, a new regent. A new king, a better king, a second Adam is to be born into humanity, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Now, before we cherish this promise, we need to understand its necessity. It's not uncommon at all for us to be interacting with people who are... um, Apart from Christ, and have them say to us, "Well, what, what, why would why would Jesus need to come for me? What, what does this have to do with me? I, I haven't really done anything against God. I don't. I don't really see what he what beef he would have with me." So we, we need to understand why this wonderful promise is necessary. And so we're going to look at um, Genesis 3 and from just three different perspectives. First of all, it speaks of a great corruption. A corruption so great that it reaches you and reaches me. But, but then it also tells us of a great call. A call that is still being heard among the sons of Adam today. And this call... Makes clear to us a great compassion, the love of God for sinners. Let's see. First of all, this this great corruption. Because uh, again, uh, people might say to us these days, you know, most people on planet Earth are basically good. Did you ever hear that one? Um, but but if they're placed in the wrong environment, I mean, if if they receive the the wrong inputs. Let's just say they have crummy parents, or, or let's just say the schools don't do the right job—that sort of thing. None of this is joke, by the way. If if they just had better inputs, then there wouldn't be uh, that in the world which we call bad. It would just all be good because people are are basically good. Genesis three exposes that lie. Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect fellowship with God in a perfect creation. The only inputs they had were holy and beneficial to them. They they lived in the atmosphere that the perfect father provided for his children. They were the pinnacle of the creation that God had declared very good. And God gave them not only the privilege of ruling over the earth, but he also gave them responsibility to obey him as his stewards. They were to be God's workers, fruitful and multiplying, creating and building to the glory of God. They and their descendants were to subdue the earth for the glory of God. In other words, expand Eden into All the earth. You could say that the earth itself had Adam as its first king, appointed by God. Talk about being set up for success. There's no environmental inputs gone wrong here. God promised infinite blessing to humanity so long as our first parents obeyed. So long as our first parents stepped into the created purpose that God had designed for them. And this is sometimes referred to as the covenant of works or the the covenant of creation. Adam served as a representative of the human race. And if if that seems odd to you, think of it this way. We we know what this is like by experience. As it goes with the boss, so it goes with the company, right? As it goes with the president, so it goes with the nation. Let's just move past that. Uh, Listen, men, we were reminded yesterday so well. As the husband and father go, so go the entire family. Are you listening to this? So we know what it is to be represented by another in such a way that we're impacted by another. And so it is with you. And so it is with me. With respect to Adam. Theologians sometimes say that Adam's role was that of the federal head of humanity. What All of that simply means is that Adam's fall is our fall. We are sinners, not because we can think of something we've done wrong. That's just the proof of it. We sin because we are sinners in Adam. We've inherited this from our first parents. And Adam was perfectly su- you still listening? Yes. Adam was perfectly suited for his role as a federal head, if you will. He had a, a sinless mind and heart, a perfect environment, the, the, the clearest of instructions from God, the uninterrupted, friendly presence of God. And yet with the free will God gave him, Adam chose sin. And all mankind are represented in Adam. Including you. Including me. And you say, well, I didn't sign up for that. You don't have to. Yes, we are born as free agents. We have freedom of choice in a sense, but we're, listen, we're not free from our sin nature. The nature that is inclined to disobey, to squirm under the benevolent rule of God, that's our nature. That's what the Bible means when it tells us we're, we're born in sin. We're born in Adam. And today, of course, the culture teaches our little ones, our kids, that people are, again, basically good. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We don't want to hurt anybody's self-esteem. Um, everybody's a winner, all of that sort of nonsense. But, but think of it this way. Long before America was a nation, grade school kids used to read this in their English primers. Um, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. Now that's got a nice little rhythm to it, doesn't it? In Adam's fall, we sinned all. Second and third graders used to learn how to read with this stuff. How far we've come. Essential to Christianity, vital to a right understanding of the gospel, even a right celebration of Christmas, is this unchanging reality that Adam's sin had dreadful consequences for all of humanity, including you and me. Romans 5.18 says this, Through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. What a a corruption this is. Verse, Verse 19 of Romans 5, By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And before we say, well, wait a minute, that's not fair. You're thinking that, some of you now, I can see it on your faces. That's not fair. Oh, we care about fairness, don't we? Why not give every person the same opportunity Adam had? Surely one of us would do better. So, who wants to go first? I mean, the best among us. Who would do better? How about Adam's kids? How how about just the next generation? Well, Cain killed Abel. We could keep going. You get the point. God gave Adam a kingdom and Adam and his offspring set it on fire. And it kept burning and it kept burning down through the generations until God put that fire out with a flood. Well, after the flood, that's the ultimate do-over, right? Not so much. Not so much. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. Oh, But surely we'd do better, knowing all that we know today, with the perspective on all of this that we have today, because we would know what not to do, right? Well, it turns out they did too. Think of it this way, though. Haven't you also chosen a lie over the truth as Eve did ever? Haven't you also broken the boundaries God has set for you in his goodness as Adam did ever? Of course. Look at what Adam's sin has done to all of us. Verse 16 of Genesis 3. Ladies first, right? To the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. This is talking about so much more than pain in childbirth, says the man who doesn't know what he's talking about, right? I I get that. I'm treading lightly on that. Sin's curse. Sin's curse. Assures pain in parenting. Any parents here? Anybody have parents? That's, that should cover all of us. In pain you shall bring forth children. Bringing forth children, though a tremendous joy, don't misunderstand, is not now what it was meant to be before the fall. Every dad and mom in this room knows what it is to wonder what's next bringing up a kid in this sin-stained world. I mean, what's around the corner, really? Not knowing which way he'll go. Not, not knowing which way, which path she'll choose. What will they do with the sin nature within themselves? and not a parent in this room has, has been without the thought, I, I hope they don't do what I did. I've already mentioned Exhibit A. Eve gave birth to humanity's first cold-blooded murderer, Cain. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Again, taking great care. But listen, it is the sin nature... In any wife that causes her to chafe at her husband's leading. Apart from grace, she really struggles to accept his care and protection as an extension of God's own care and protection in her life. She is, by nature, apart from grace, an unwilling follower. You could go to the library and find hundreds, if not thousands, of books on leadership you don't find many unfollowing. We're just not that interested. (laughs) He is now by nature an irresponsible, crummy leader. Not by man's measure, certainly not by his own measure, by God's measure. Adam was supposed to be the priest in the home leading Eve, into God's ways. Instead, he let her fill the leadership vacuum that he was supposed to be occupying. He was to be the prophet in the community that they created, filling the earth, declaring God's ways to his people. Oh, if humanity only had a better prophet a better priest, a better king. Look at verse 17. You still with me? Then to Adam God said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face." You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Doesn't this explain, in broad strokes, the world we live in today? So far from God's original blueprint. Before sin, mankind had eternal life. Now we have death as an inheritance. Every one of us. Physical death and also eternal death in Adam. We'll come back to that. Before sin, mankind enjoyed pleasure in in, in the purest sense. Now we have pain. In fact, our understanding of pleasure really is in the context of the absence of pain. A vacation, by definition, is a break from daily toil, right? Before sin, mankind knew only abundance. And now we know need, lack, subsistence, preoccupation with supplying need. The blessing of work. As God's stewards is now tainted by sin's curse. The the earth itself created to produce, God says is now going to push back. Which is why we have spinach and and Brussels sprouts and all of these horrible things. Think, think of this though. Think of, think of what awaited Adam and Eve had they obeyed God bringing creation to a a consummation with their skill and creativity and and excellence, now uh, they're they're just going to struggle to survive. That's kind of how it is for us too, isn't it? Before sin, Adam and Eve enjoyed true union with one another. This is the wonder and mystery of marriage by God's design. And they enjoyed communion with God. Now they're alienated from God. Their offspring will be born alienated from God. You and I are born alienated from God. We can't fix that. Nor can we create the kind of community God designed us for by simply building on our own ruins. All of human history is evidence of this. The covenant of works has been broken and judgment has been pronounced on all of humanity. And that includes you. That that includes me. It includes our neighbors, our friends, our classmates. We need... A new head, don't we? A new federal head. We need a new prophet and priest and king. And there is a glimmer of this promised grace right here in Genesis 3. It is perhaps the darkest chapter in human history, but it's not without light. Let's get to the light. Did you did you detect grace in verses 8 and 9? Listen to this again. Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Now this is um, anthropomorphic language. It's man-centered language. It's worded in a way that we can understand it. that God is omniscient. Uh, God is omnipresent, he's he's everywhere, completely, all the time. And God is spirit, meaning he doesn't have legs to, to walk around gardens with as we do. So why this question then, where are you? Well, we focused on the great corruption, now we hear the great call. Into this great corruption comes a great call from God himself. God graciously calls out to Adam and by extension Eve to give to them an opportunity to confess, to repent. God doesn't need to know where Adam and Eve are. God doesn't need to be informed of what they did. God does not need to be informed of what they're even thinking in real time while all of this is happening. And how many of you know that's true of you too? But in sin, God's image bearers do what? They hide from one another, fig leaves. And they even try to hide from God himself. Now I wonder, are there any here this morning who know what it is to hide in shame? If people only knew your past, if people only knew the reality of your present. The the shame is overwhelming at times, isn't it? So you just hide. That's man's fallen nature. Hide. Pretend. Change the subject. You hide behind a career. You hide behind a public reputation. You hide behind busyness, a winsome personality. Maybe you even hide behind religion. Throughout human history, that has been a favorite hiding place of sinful man, religion. Always managing what others think, but in the quiet of your heart, you have a sense That you're still hiding? Do you see here in Genesis 3 a gracious call to those hiding in their shame? Where are you? Where are you? God seeks out his shamed ones for love's sake. Every Christmas time It's as if God allows even our calendars and our carols to amplify this wonderful, gracious call to his image bearers. Where are you? Still hiding, are you? Well, Adam and Eve in their shame tried blame. I heard the chuckles as that was read. It's not all that funny, is it? Adam blamed his wife. Eve blamed the serpent. And sin always gives birth to shame. And shame has its twin, blame. They always travel together. If only I hadn't had that upbringing. If only that person hadn't done that to me. If only I had had... A better opportunity. If, if only someone would have helped me. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. The influences in your life matter a lot. They might even explain your predisposition to certain sins. But please hear this. They do not excuse your sin. The Bible says the soul who sins shall die. Each one of us accountable to God for our own sin. But you know, the Bible says, whoever believes in this promised seed, whoever is in Christ rather than remaining in Adam, whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. Amen? Jesus came into this world and he bore our shame on that cross Have you heard God's great call? Have you proclaimed lately God's great call to those around you yet in Adam? You don't have to look very far to see the great corruption It seems that Adam did heed the call. Look at verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. I I got stuck on this and so just hang with me for a minute. Um, Adam heard God pronounce the curse and yet at the same time he sensed this dawn of redeeming grace even as the curse was being pronounced. In what way? Well, apparently we're not going to die immediately. Even as the Lord is talking to Satan, he's speaking of a future. That's good. Created immortal. They would now spend their finite lives trusting in this promise of God that one of their descendants would come and bruise the serpent's head. You know, as bad as it is to have your heel bruised, to have the head bruised is fatal. It's a mortal blow. Every generation that followed them anticipated this promise. Some ignored it, for sure, just as many ignore the promise still today. Their hope, humanity's hope, was in God's promise. And, and look, look what God does with their shame. Look at verse 21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Adam and Eve could not cover up their own sin. The fig leaves were a joke. Silliness. Just like humanity's efforts today still to cover up sin. What what do we do today? We just change the definition of words. It's not murder, it's choice. We cannot cover up our own sin. Nothing is hidden from God. But this promised seed has come. Christ has come. Jesus, God in the flesh, born into humanity, born to be slaughtered like an animal on a bloody cross so that we could be covered with his righteousness you see you and i sinners that we are can't cover ourselves we must be covered with what god has provided or we'll not be covered at all you hearing this let me ask you something has god covered your shame You have a sense of what that is? You have an assurance of this by God's grace? Don't miss that God's means of covering sin involves death. It involves bloodshed. So we must be clothed in what God has provided. He's provided the seed. He's provided his son, Jesus, born of a virgin, into humanity. Think of the verse that even your neighbors who don't go to church know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes upon him will not perish, will not die eternally, but have everlasting life. So at Christmas time, we we must look uh, um, even beyond the baby in the manger born from a borrowed womb to the man who is the last Adam, the second Adam, as that hymn we just sang proclaims to us. Christ crucified and placed in that borrowed tomb to cover the sins of his people, to clothe us, cover us with his righteousness. And here is God's great compassion and if you can do simple math, you know that that's the last point, don't you? I only mentioned three. A great corruption, a great call, of great compassion. Look at verses 22 through 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. There's the Trinity there, right? Us. To know good and evil, and now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Do you see God's compassion in this? God did not want Adam and Eve and their descendants to live forever in sin and in sin's consequences. Hell. So they're cast away from Eden, away from the tree of life. They're sent out into a cursed world that is nonetheless God's world banished from God's intimate presence. Remember, Eden was sort of like the temple for ancient Israel. It was a, you know, God is everywhere. He doesn't have a location. But a wonderful reminder of his active presence with his people, perfect fellowship with God, is no longer possible. Try as you might to get to God on your own, and every man made religion is about this trying to get to God on your own you simply store up wrath for yourself always being hacked by these cherubim with swords guarding Eden but but remember the first good news. Remember verse 15. I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The scripture says that when Jesus died at Calvary, the veil of the temple, embroidered with cherubim, was rendered in two, split in two. What an interesting image that is. Access to God. Intimate fellowship with God. Possible now through faith in the work of Christ. And the promise extends beyond to this future hope that I pray you have, that one day every aspect of sin's curse will be removed from God's world and be removed from God's people. Aren't you looking forward to this? Is that on your mind when you sing some of these Christmas carols? Think of this. Adam and Eve were created never to dread any animal, let alone snakes. Um, There was no need to fear anything. I thought of this because my, my dear wife Pam, who's not here to prevent me from saying this, is um, she doesn't care for snakes. Lots of people don't care for snakes. Um, In fact, people now always associate snakes with evil, don't they? But listen to one of the wonders of the new earth God has promised to his people. This is from Isaiah 11. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Now that's a verse that you read and you think to yourself, that's weird. What's that about? Well, it's a really strange verse until you realize this. It's to do with this glorious future that God promises his people in obliterating sin's curse from all of creation itself. Notice once more the first gospel in verse 15 of Genesis 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Here is the very beginning of God's covenant of grace. And it's very different from the covenant of works. This covenant, this covenant of grace is is rooted in the infinite goodness and kindness of God. So much so that life is promised to those Who receive from him, not those who do for him. Don't miss this. The covenant of grace is not like the covenant of works. The the covenant of works was what? Adam, serve me and live. He blew it. Thanks, Adam. The covenant of grace is what? Live. And by my spirit, serve me. Live for me. We dare not get that backward. The covenant of grace is to receive life from God in Christ through faith in him. And then he does a work of of enabling us to serve him, to live for him as his image bearers. Again, where Adam failed, Christ prevailed. Our righteousness is attached to Christ by faith. Just as our sin was attached to Adam by birth, by nature. In the same way that Adam's sin is imputed to all, are who, all who are in Adam, so Christ's righteousness is imputed to all are who are in Christ. Now, why am I belaboring this? Because the gospel is better news than many Christians think it is. It's all to do with Jesus. It's all to do with his work for you, not what you've done for him or even what you hope to do for him in the future. What grace there is in this gospel and the rest of your Bible traces this or or develops this this promised covenant of grace. It's made clearer and clearer and clearer as you work your way through the scriptures. It's pictured in the covenant with Noah. it's, It's... Amplified in the covenant with Abraham. Lord willing, we'll look at those next week. It's anticipated, yet still today, in the promise of Christ's second coming. He's coming again, our king. Amen? And the prophets kept reminding God's people of this. And what the prophets foretold, Christ has fulfilled. Jesus said to his first followers, just before his death on the cross. He's pointing to the the, the, the cup of of Passover, the, the communion cup in our vernacular, and he said to them, For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You see that that is why the birth of Jesus is so important to us. God promised a son, a seed from the woman he who would make all creation a consummated kingdom of god as was intended at creation and he's kept his promise the son has come he's been given and so the question is where are you where where are you in all of this have have you received the gift of the seed that the son Christ 1 Corinthians 15:22 says this, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Romans 5.18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. It's all on Jesus, isn't it? Romans 5.19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. You see, salvation is a gift to receive. It's not a work to do. It's a work of God for you who are in Christ. Take it. Believe in Christ. Receive this Forgiveness this this covering of shame the, the the end to the blaming, this friendship God gives to sinners through the work of his Son you 'd think we would be about done, but not not just yet. Are you an Adam? Are you yet an Adam? Where are you? Are you in Christ? I mentioned at the beginning that this covenant of grace, the gospel, is an eternal life, promises an eternal life better than what was experienced in Eden by Adam and Eve. What, what, what do I mean by that? Well, in Eden, Adam and Eve were perfect, but not complete. In other words, they could still choose sin, and they did. That's why you and me, we're we're born choosing sin by nature. Why did Christ have to be born of a virgin? Why a borrowed womb in that sense? Because Jesus is impeccable. We really misuse that word these days. Oh, he's got impeccable taste. Be done with that. Jesus is impeccable, meaning what? He's without sin, and he's without ability to sin. No sin nature from Adam. In Jesus, the man who is God. He has God's own nature because he is God. This is is the wonder of the incarnation. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man, no more may die born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. And this is the promise. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We who are in Christ have received a new nature, haven't we? We now battle with sin. We didn't before we came to Christ. We have a Godward nature that the Spirit of God living within us, warring against that Adamic nature, the nature of Adam, the nature of sin. And of course we stumble at times, sometimes profoundly maybe, but we live toward a day when sin's curse in us and sin's curse around us will be removed completely. That's what Charles Wesley and Whitfield meant when they had a singing, Bruise in Us, the Serpent's Head. Christ, even now, believer, is killing off sin in you. He does this in all of his children. 1 John 3 8 says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Bruised at Calvary, yes. But Christ has crushed the serpent's head. Amen? Sin is defeated in Christ. And this victory he shares with all who are in him. Anyway, I suppose that's it. Our entire Bible anticipates and expounds upon this covenant of grace that brings us back to God that sets us on a course of living toward a better Eden, if you will. We overcome sin's curse in Adam by being in Christ. So I leave you with that. Where are you? Where are you? Listen to Revelation 2.7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. Which is in the midst of the paradise of God. It comes full circle, doesn't it? The whole book, Genesis to Revelation, it's all to do with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the good news that you spoke into this world darkened by sin, even as you pronounced sin's curse. Lord, you are merciful and mighty to save and you have sent us the perfect prophet the great high priest the everlasting king jesus to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves what we could not do all of us together lord you have brought us salvation and I pray that as we celebrate this time of year, as we, as we sing some of these wonderful carols, Lord, would you, would you slow us down a bit that we might contemplate the wonder of your incarnation, the, the surety of your promises to your people, and may we live toward them for your namesake. Amen. Amen.